Onyx Hunt is our go-to solution for anything mapping related, whether we're at the house or in the field, whether we're using the tracking feature in order to kind of figure out exactly where we're going in and out of the woods, to also implementing the new cell camera feature where you can actually link your different cell cameras that you may have from different brands and be able to get all those photos sent directly through the Onyx app where you can actually see them on your maps and be able to go through all your photos right there in one place. You can use the promo code SOUTHERN at checkout and save 20% on your Onyx Onyx membership. Onyx has been extremely helpful for us the last six years, and I'm sure it'll be helpful for you. So know where you stand with Onyx. The Defender ST is a brand new micro red dot from Vortex Optics. You need to check it out for this turkey season. I just got my hands on one of these bad boys. It's a three MOA dot, super low profile red dot sight that weighs just 1.5 ounces with the battery. I started running a red dot on my turkey gun a couple years ago. It really helps with sight picture. It helps me stay focused on the target and see exactly what I'm aiming at. So, you know, my shotgun bead's not covering up the whole bird. And it also makes it easier when I'm taking other people who are maybe less familiar with the shotgun. Anyone can pick up a red dot and immediately know exactly how to use it. And I especially like this one because it has a battery runtime of 25,000 hours. This is an ultra durable red dot sight with an anodized aluminum body that protects it against anything that you can throw at it in the turkey woods. And I'm highly abusive to my gear in the turkey woods, so I'm excited to have a, a beefed up, really tough red dot sight like this on my shotgun. Y'all can go check them out at vortexoptics.com. And hey, if you want to order this or any other Vortex product and get a discount, go to midwayusa.com and use the promo code southern for a discount on your order again that's promo code southern for a discount on any vortex product from midwayusa.com meadow creek mounts is your go-to mounting option for red dots on your turkey shotgun and one of my favorite features about this mount is you don't have to drill and tap your shotgun in order to mount a red dot onto your shotgun i personally have used this mount the last two seasons and it's worked extremely well for me one thing i personally like about it is because it's so low onto the barrel when it mounts to the rib of your shotgun it allows for a very natural head positioning when shouldering your gun also an advantage of using a red dot compared to maybe just a traditional bead on your shotgun is you get a much more clear view of the turkey and you're able to kind of see what else is around there and making sure you're perfectly on that bird. Now if you're interested in giving Meadow Creek Mounts a try you can go over to the website meadowcreekmounts.com and use the code southern at checkout to be able to save 10% on your order. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. Uh, we've got a special guest on today that I'm going to let Jacob introduce, because y'all have heard a lot about this fella. Uh, Jacob, how are you doing oh, over there? I'm doing great. I just, you know, I can't hear myself in the headset, but other than that, we're doing great. Yeah, you yeah. Know, my, my left ear's a little deaf today, I'm not going to lie, from some dog training with Andrew. You know, it's <laughs> all good. You know, hearing protection was optional, I guess, on this trip, but... Uh, yeah, no, doing great. But we're down here at our uh, uncle's farm, or my uncle's farm. So our my uncle's farm, and I got my uncle here sitting next to us, Anthony Troncoli. Anthony, how you doing? Hey, hey, guys, hey. good. Yeah, how's it sound? You be able to hear yourself in the in the headset? Uh, it's kind of different, but I'm good. I'm jealous. At least you can hear yourself right now. So, <laughs> <laughs> You're like a helicopter pilot. Yeah, uh, yeah, <laughs> chopper, chopper. Yeah, there you go. But anyways, uh, we're down here. Uh, just got done doing some dog training with both Boone and Pepper. That's a quail down here, but uh, not to get too sidetracked on that. We'll probably talk about that in the outro uh, coming up uh, on Friday. But um, this is a fun episode because, Anthony, I've been wanting to have you on for a long time. Uh, I talked about you quite a bit on the podcast. Some people know. I don't necessarily say your name. But I always say is my uncle. Um, you know, when I got into hunting, it was through you and your brother or, and my other uncle, Michael, 
um, because you know my dad doesn't hunt that whole side of his whole side of the family doesn't hunt so pretty much it was just you two uh that really took us hunting growing up me and christopher and, and thomas uh so that was kind of that intro uh, and actually we went out today and did some dog training and walked right past the shooting house i shot my first deer out of i think yeah. i was 12 years yeah. old yeah and it was actually me and i think christopher yeah me and christopher doubled on our both of our first deer that day and that's when my hearing protection <laughs> that, that's, that's, when, that's the, when the downtrend and all your hearing started <laughs> that's why you have all these issues where this i want people to know that the amplifier on his headset is turned to 10 out of 10 <laughs> it can't go any higher and he's like i can't hear myself yeah i'm not gonna say it's a something i, I praise or take a lot of pride in but it's uh something else it, it is what it is man we've, we've done a lot of shooting in the past but um but yeah so we went down there and that was kind of cool can i go down there and show andrew down at the farm um kind of where we shot first year but this episode we're gonna talk about a bunch of different things but Real quick, do you do you remember by the way that story when you took me and Andrew or not me and Andrew, me and come on man, Christopher, Christopher your brother, Christopher, he doesn't he doesn't hunt <laughs> yeah. anymore anyway, so this is you know it's a mute point, yeah. but uh, went down there and you filmed it, and uh, yeah, that, that footage was something interesting as we found out later, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I remember. I mean, I don't remember your ages, but I remember uh, where you know sitting in the shooting house and. Had the seven mag, and that's why you can't hear. <laughs> Muzzle Mals, break on it, no ear protection. You know, beautiful so. rim and seven, rim ten seven hundred woodstock, beautiful yeah. gun, and just yeah, and you had a custom muzzle brake put on it. Oh yeah, that yeah. sucker just echoed in that hollow three man shooting house. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but no, we uh, in a place we call the Long Field, and uh, I, yours was a. Little five point, both or break. It was a broke up eight point. He's just a little five point, half rack. So, no sir, no, no sir. Whoa. Your first deer, boss. Yeah, you're thinking of a different deer then. <laughs> no, it's broken. Yeah, it was. I got the deer in the house. Not your first deer. My first deer. It, okay. It it was it was a five point. It was an eight point that broke up. He he had a uh, like a three inch little main beam on one side, and then he had the four on the other side, and then Christopher. Got the okay, big four so point. I don't remember. Oh, so, yeah, hey, <laughs> I don't remember the story. Then. You're, you're, you're th- hey, you're thinking of that that broken up eight point I shot that I was in that shooting house on the lease back there, and you helped me drag that one out. I I did not think that deer was a an eight point. I'm sorry, no, Jacob. No. You being a little generous with yeah, your uh, point that count thing over grew there? like by seven points. Those are the deer. Oh, hey, listen here. Uh, I got Jacob's got a story. All right, I got a story to tell you about Jacob. I, I go to Tennessee and I see a buck. And I'm I'm like Jacob. I'm telling you, this is like a big deer. Like it's a huge deer. He's like, dude, you saw a dink. Like he's giving me nothing. And then he goes to the same spot and sees a deer. And he first sees it. He's like, man, it was a, it was a really good buck. Don't shut the, shut and up. There's no. evidence. People can go back on the podcast and listen to him talk about it. There's evidence of it. He's like, it was, it was a really good buck. A couple podcasts later, he's like, man, this this deer is 150 inches. Three or four podcasts later, man, probably 160. A year later, this is a booner. This is like a 180-inch deer. It just grows over time, man. No, I, I remember the, the the shot, and I was videoing it. Yep. And then uh, then Christopher uh, shot maybe 30, minutes 30 later. 45 minutes later, mm-hmm. his first deer, and – we didn't know for sure he had hit that deer. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, but I knew for sure Jacob had hit the deer. Thing mule kick, went up in the pines. And uh, like I said, I was videoing it. And the family was here at the house. 
or we called them mm-hmm. and they came to the house. But when we got back, uh, my sister, my parents were here. Mm-hmm. So I backed the video up to see the shot and then recorded over your shot. I think for Christopher's day. I think that's what it was. Yeah. So I was, <laughs> once I realized that I was absolutely sick. <laughs> I mean, had the perfect video mule kick of a deer first deer. I was pumped. And then oh, it was like devastation later when I backed it up and we tried to watch it. That's brutal. And it was gone, but it was cool that the, that the nep- the nephews were, you know, I got to, be there for their first kill. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I am over exaggerating a little bit. So, <laughs> so I think it probably should have been a little eight point, but he broke off pretty much everything. It was pretty much like a little tiny little snub. I was of, thinking of the three. Time. <laughs> it, it, was, it, was, it was something like that. It was like, I said five went, point. Okay. Wait, let me, no, no, no. No, no, no. By three point to an eight point. I think it's a three point. No, no. I'm not saying it was. Eight. Listen, I'm saying it probably should have been. Look. Okay, guys. All right, oh, all right. my. He broke gosh. everything off. There was nothing much more than a man. Like, well, he just had two nubs where he broke off his whole antlers, but he, I thought he was a 10 point before he broke them off. <laughs> but we had eight I years of camera pictures. I probably got camera pictures. Been, of that we had eight years of camera pictures of this deer. That was only a year and a half old. Oh, man. No. I'm already so glad we're doing this podcast. <laughs> this, is, this is already paid off. Uh, hey, what, what, remember when Chris used to say he'd see a bear out there? Yeah, be sitting there? I always saw some black bears down here in Bibb County. Yeah, every time. Yeah. It was Absolutely. sitting there, and it's like breaking daylight. I see a bear. That's like exactly how you do it. I see a bear. It's not like, is that a bear? No, I see a bear. And this, you know, sun would kind yeah. of keep coming up, and you're like, yep. Yeah. Uh huh. Uh huh. That little cedar bush. Yeah. <laughs> I see a bear. He's like, that's a big buck. And this is, you know, it's a dead snag when you, oh, when the sun oh, comes yeah. up. One of those. Yeah. But like, because that was, that was our thing. Like, I think you, you and Michael, uh, had, I don't know if it was a competition, but you both, y'all were both taking us hunting. I guess, you know, depending on who could get us our first deer. So I went with Michael. I had a chance to shoot a deer with Michael at one point in his club down in Pineapple, Alabama. And uh, anyways, it you know didn't work out and then came here and shot that deer. Uh, but I didn't, one of the first members I remember is taking uh, – we were at Michael's house, and we had Pops or Angie's, whoever's old 30-30, had a couple rounds. He's like, all right, this is what Michael told me. He's like, whoever – it was me and Christopher. And he's like, whoever can shoot closest to bullseye, that's the one I'm taking hunting. <laughs> and of course, Crusher had no chance. So, you know, you know I was the first one to go. So, yeah. but yeah, man, it still took me like a year and a half later before we, cause I don't think I killed anything that season. I think it was the next season when we came down here. And I'll tell you another thing that was funny. And this is, I just thought about this. So, you know, all of our hunting clothes is all hand me downs from you guys, from like you, Michael, oh, yeah. Angie, like all of them. That's who we got our hunting clothes from, like old school, like original, like real tree and some mossy. Well, actually, it was a lot of real tree stuff. And uh, freezing her butts off, you know, wearing huge, you know, getting some like super heavy boots and all this kind of stuff, and still we're freezing to death. And uh, I remember you or Michael would give us like leftover, like sent away spray, and like oh, and just give it to us, or like someone gave it to us, and we were using it like three years later. And I remember like <laughs> I think I was hunting with you, and you're like, what oh, is man. that smell? And you're like, I'm like, yeah. oh, that spray you gave me. That's that soured <laughs> smell. <laughs> yeah, soured <laughs> bottle that y'all kept for three years yeah it was great and see <laughs> yeah. what we so what we used to do I, so that, that was back when we were living at that little farm we had over mm-hmm. in like columbiana and uh i had like this old i think it was 
grannies or somebody's like or somebody's it was old like a like a wardrobe i had all my hunt clothes like hung up in there and that's a little you know not airtight nothing like that and i'd go in there i remember like it'd be like summertime i'd go in there spray them oh man and like shut it and like growing up you know we were like oh like scent, like super scent cautious and everything like we'd get dressed like out here like we when it come in the house <laughs> we would like get dressed it's like 30 degrees out at the trucks yeah. Like you come down here in a t-shirt and jeans and you change Absolutely. like, you know, right before you go out there. And I remember putting that stuff on and I just remember like, you were like, what is, or maybe we were in the shooting house because I was like, I was like only 12 years old, 13 years old. And you're like, what is that smell? And I was like, <laughs> and I pulled out my bag. I think, it, I don't know if it had like an expired date or what. And you asked me, I think how we got it. It's like, oh, y'all gave it to us like back in like whenever. And you're like, oh my God, throw that away. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah, oh, it, smelled yeah. Like, it smelled like, not sour milk, but it smelled like sour, like mildew, like. Yeah. funkiness mm. and that's why we were spraying down with like I'll bring them in for sure <laughs> yeah. alright I gotta I gotta to preface the conversation Anthony uh, before we all get down in the in the rabbit hole which is great we gotta keep doing this but we gotta hear a little bit about you we're sitting in your house right now you've got a bunch of coyotes full body mounted you got a gray fox and you got a bunch of big giant bucks all over the place uh, I mean tell us a little bit about yourself kind of your background how you got into hunting history and all that kind of stuff well, actually, just uh, my dad didn't hunt, so he knew we loved the outdoors, my brother and I, and even Angie, my sister. Uh, so he would take us, he was not a hunter, no background hunting or anything, but he would take us out there. And I mean, we would, I guess we called it deer hunting, but we were just going to be out there we'd carry the gun and and whatnot but uh you know so my dad a non-hunter knew we loved the outdoors and got us interested in the outdoors so it just grew from there so i am now 51 years old been hunting since i was probably six seven years old got uh, three kids and uh tried to raise them hunting uh they've uh my two older boys killed their first deer down here at the farm and my daughter killed her first deer in the same shooting house jacob and christopher shot their deer so yeah it's uh you know i'm trying to raise them in the outdoors you know fishing hunting and uh it's just what i love to do and uh i'm i'm down here on my property now full time so love the i love the management part of it more than the actual hunting i can say that mm -hmm. uh just letting the deer grow taking the camera pictures getting a history of deer love the you know the control burns the planting year round been playing year round for probably 15 years now last year is my first year i didn't plant and then got into the trapping part of it so just all aspects of it and i mean like i said before we're sitting in here surrounded by a bunch of very nice bucks uh, that you got mounted on the wall are, are a lot of these from your property are they from old leases and clubs and stuff like that uh there's three from down here Actually, my three best bucks are from down here. 
Uh, we had a, I had a lease that butts up against my property and I had a tree I called the killing tree. And, uh, I killed my first, my best two bucks out there. And it was a big, we have limestone outcrops out here. So I scouted the area and this big outcrop of limestone, the, the deer had to go one way or the other, depending on the wind. And, uh, set up and killed both of those bucks above you there within 10 feet of each other where they drop oh wow yeah they're just funneling around rock outcroppings right kind of in the rut i guess yep uh i actually shot the this eight point right here i was on the i was just walked in and was just standing leaning up against the tree and uh he come with a doe. I saw like 12 deer just leaning up against the tree. And I said, well, I'm going to just stay here for a little while. And he, doe brought him out. Yeah, it was during the rut. And then uh, this other deer, I, I shot him. He was checking scrapes that were, he had a scrape line in that same area. Cutting around the edge of that rock outcropping? Right. right. Oh, wow. Yep. That's awesome. And when he, when you mean rock outcropping, it is like a huge. Oh yeah, it's like a it's like a mountain of limestone. It's not yeah. like a bluff or anything. It's like you're walking through the woods, and all of a sudden you have this yeah. huge it's, rock it's mound. Two or three, maybe four acres of just big limestone rock that they're not going to come through. Mm-hmm. So they go, depending on the wind, they go you know around it. North wind. I had the stand set up on the north side, and uh, on the south side. So they're swinging so, downwind depending on the wind? Right. Okay. Is that Buck's ant? Like, is that a rut thing, or are you seeing that No, that's just general? natural travel. Okay. Uh, you know, they, they're just not going to come. That's just an obstacle that they're not going to come through. So. No, but with the wind, like, uh, yeah. so even outside of the rut, they still use right. a certain part of that rock outcropping with a certain wind? Right. Okay. Right. Interesting. Yeah. So, Jacob... Jacob, always we've heard a lot on the show about uh, about you guys, both on this property, but also in some of your old leases and clubs. Like heard, he always talks I've heard about him talk about me. Old pineapple, <laughs> Alabama. <laughs> Ears are burning, man. So, <laughs> yeah. so Jacob, like, talk about that a little bit. Like, your your uh, them in the leases growing up. You know, you talk about the pineapple lease a lot. Kind of go into that stuff. And well, that was Michael. So that's yeah. that's Anthony's younger brother. Um, and I wish he was here because that would have been hilarious yeah. to have him on. Well, that deer, that nine point yeah, above talk about, you, talk about that, that deer. That came from pineapple. Yeah, and I just, you know, Michael's an awesome hunter. Uh, he's got a trophy room that would put this one to shame, you know. But uh, he's uh, we we were called the Gypsies for about seven or eight years straight. We we moved from lease to lease, so we've hunted a bunch of different areas. And uh, uh, the the pineapple lease, uh, Michael had it, and he would, I would just go hunt, you know, a couple of times with him. I wasn't part of that lease, and uh, he he did his homework, and he set me up on that deer right there, uh, during the rut. He he come out with a four point, and uh, I was able to take that deer. Just from my brother's, you know, scouting, he knew where they were coming through. Well, we get. I want. I want. 
before we kind of talk more details about some of this, can you talk about that the deer you shot over the campfire? Uh, deer I shot over the campfire. The, yeah, the, the I three was. Uh, it's actually the Stevens family that it ha- they own half of me and acres in this area and other counties. Uh, but they were cutting. They have their own personal golf course. And this was, I was 13 years old. This was 83. And, uh, I was out on my three wheeler that just bulldozed part of this area to clear for the golf course. And I, it was, you know, it was probably in the thirties. I don't remember, but it was cold. So I built me a fire on my three wheeler, you know, had my 30-30 with me. And so I'm sitting there, sitting on the three-wheeler, fire going, uh, keeping myself warm. You know, I would get over and stand next to the fire and then jump back on the three-wheeler. And I was looking. I was hunting, man. That's what I knew at 13. And uh, two, I catch some movement, and a doe and a, ended up being a four-point come out and back in that day i mean it brown it was down you know (laughs) and uh got off the three-wheeler kind of did a little stalk and they'd gone down in this it was still an area that they hadn't cleared so it was uh like a regeneration type area thick and they'd got down in there and bed down and i slipped in uh on the road you know use i did know to use the wind and uh got up in there and i actually jumped them they ran up and stood broadside and i i dropped the four point <laughs> you know so that was that was that that's that awesome. was my that was my second deer ever yeah i, I kind of wish michael was here because one one deer i'd like for you to talk about and I, again it would have been awesome if he was here talk a little bit more about this deer the deer i think he shot but wounded with yep. a bow and then you found him and was able yeah. to dispatch it and he uh, mounted that deer right yeah yeah and that we, was down uh, here yeah that was a big eight point it was behind the barn we call area behind the barn mm-hmm. uh set up on some isolated white oaks and uh deer come in it was opening afternoon I don't remember the year or anything, but uh, I was, you know, set up across the property, and he, I hear a four-wheeler coming up, and I'm like, what is he, you know, what is he doing? He's big, messing my hunt up. I didn't even think, hey, he may have shot a deer. Mm-hmm. But uh, <clears throat> this was early in both of our hunting. I mean, we were, I don't even remember the age we were, but uh Neither one of us ever killed a, a decent deer. And he's, you know, he come up and he could barely talk. He's like, I just shot the best deer ever, you know, <laughs> biggest deer of my life. I was like, okay, you know, and uh, I said, well, is he down? He said, no. He said, I didn't get good penetration. He ran up and stood there and, and I could tell the air was just, had barely gone in you know i said okay so we didn't know really nothing back in back then about tracking or anything so we were gone i mean we were in there you know 
I said, let's, let's go. Mm-hmm. And, uh, ended up, wasn't a whole lot of blood ended up, uh, it actually ran onto my neighbor's property and we just couldn't find a real good blood trail. So we ended up backing out and, uh, you know, just couldn't find the deer. I mean, it wasn't enough to, to trail or anything. So I was down here hunting maybe four days later and I, I'd had a, I had feeders out and, you know, I was like, I was up in a area hunting over some more oaks, white oaks. And I hear the feeder go off and back then it wasn't legal, you know? So I was like, Oh my goodness. I can't, you know, I heard the feeder go off and I was like, man, I better go down there and, you know, get that turned off and everything. So I, I walked down there and I hear this just commotion and I look over there and this buck was in the brush and he had, you know, I didn't know the deer, you know, about the deer or the size of the deer. My brother described the deer, but I had no idea that this buck, this deer was the deer he'd, he'd shot. And I'm assuming the deer just came to the feeder because he was so weak, you know, to, to try to feed, to build himself back up, I guess, at that time. But he was so weak, he couldn't get out of the briars. So I ended up, you know, putting him out of his misery, I guess. And, uh, but yeah, it was the, you know, it was a real good eight point. And, uh, we ended up, I took the deer back and I made up a story <laughs> on the way back to Hueytown. <laughs> I said, uh, you know, I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go up there and tell him, I was in the same spot and the deer come back through and I've made a perfect shot. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I did. So I went to his house and my mom actually was there and, uh, had him on the trailer and he come out there and I, you know, he seemed excited, but I know deep down he wasn't too excited. (laughs) (laughs) So I told him that story and I drove off. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so i let it sit with him for about maybe two hours <laughs> and then i went back and i told him the the real story oh man so we had it he had it mounted and on the plaque it said killed by the troncali brothers <laughs> and we had put the dates from <laughs> october 15th to october 19th or whatever it was oh wow know? yeah Houndstooth Game Calls is your home for turkey calls this spring. Go check them out. They got all the classic turkey calls. You know, they got the pot calls and the box calls and the mouth calls, but they also got a couple really interesting calls. One of them is called the the success call, and you just need to go look it up. It's very, it's like a box call that you can work with one hand. It's really, really cool. Sounds incredible. They also got the Spur Master, which is another very unique call that you can get some really unique, clean tones out of. They're going to help you out this turkey season. Use the promo code SOP20 to get 15% off of your order at Houndstooth Game Calls. That's SOP24. Use it at checkout. It helps the podcast.
As deer seasons come to a close for most of us in the southeast, this is when you really got to start paying attention when we start getting these warmer temps for a lot of these insects. It was actually kind of crazy. We were out hunting a couple weeks ago with the dogs, and we got into a bunch of ticks in a day that it was just two days before everything was froze up and iced up. But make sure you're protecting yourself and your family with Sawyers. Everything from the best insect repellents, especially their DEET products, but also the Precaritin products for protecting yourself from ticks, mosquitoes, all kinds of flying insects as well, but also their water filtration devices, first aid kits, and more. Sawyer's has you covered. You can pick up Sawyer's products from a lot of your sporting goods stores, whether you have a local sporting goods store or one of the big box stores like a Bass Pro Shop or even like a Walmart. You can pick up your Sawyer products from there. Again, we've truly enjoyed using Sawyer products. And again, as we head into the springtime, it's going to be more and more important, especially with the insect repellents to make sure that you're well protected going into this springtime. So give Sawyer's a chance going into this turkey season. Man, Mark's Outdoors is your one-stop shop for everything outdoor and shooting related. They're a family-owned business that's been around for over 40 years now, been serving the Birmingham area, but now they have opened their doors to everyone across the United States through their online store. Again, me and Andrew have been using Mark's Outdoors for years now. They have an unbelievable supplies of literally anything that we need we can pick up from Mark's Outdoors. They're even carrying different saddle companies, sticks, platforms, the whole nine yards at Mark's Outdoors. And again, if you don't live in Alabama and you don't want to make the drive to Birmingham, you can go over to their website, marksoutdoors.com, and actually shop on their online store to get awesome deals on different products that you may be needing right now and be able to get to you in a very timely manner as well. So give Marks Outdoors a try. We promise you, you'll enjoy them. They have unbelievable customer service and some of the best guys in the industry. I got one last question before I want to give it to the main topic, which is talking hunting isolated white oaks, but do you... When did you start bow hunting? And then at what age were you able to kill your first deer with your bow? Because I've never even asked you that. Man, I wish you'd ask me these questions before we got on here because I don't even know <laughs> when that was. How uh, old do you think you were? I mean, I fished. I really, I bow hunted for a while. wasn't really serious about it. And uh, I love fishing so much that when bow season came around, I was still fishing. So I really wasn't into it when I was younger. Uh, probably, man, I don't even remember when I really got serious. Probably when my brother, Michael, was uh, knocking them down. Mm-hmm. And I was jealous. <laughs> you know. So I was like, man, I got to get back into this. But uh, I, Jacob, I really don't remember. Uh, I know the first deer i killed with my bow was a we were on a lease in uh perry county and it was surrounded by uh a bunch of dog hunters Mm -hmm. and uh so we we really didn't see a lot of deer during the season and we had one field that was I mean, it was just an awesome field. Came up great. And we would drive by there in the afternoons, and there'd be one deer out there. It was about a four or five-inch spot. There was no trees around this whole field, but one tree. It was probably eight-inch diameter tree. So I said, well, I'm going to get in that tree right there, and I'm going to kill that deer right there. Mm Mm-hmm. Never shot a deer with my bow. And uh I had a I was shooting a bow tech back back then. And uh could only get 
maybe eight feet in that tree. But played the wind, went in there, and the deer come out just perfect. And uh, it started getting laid on me, and I actually blew like a a deer would blow at you. Mm-hmm. I imitated that sound. That deer come and a dead sprint to me and shot that deer at 20 yards, hit him in the neck, dropped right there, <laughs> you know, and uh, that was my first kill. And I, I don't remember, uh, Michael could probably tell you when we were at that lease, but I don't really remember. But that was my first first bow kill. That's awesome. So uh, I, I, now I want to kind of segue over real quick. I, I want to talk about the isolated white oaks because that's something that as long as I've been hunting with you, that's the one thing you've always talked about. What do you like about hunting isolated white oaks and, and maybe why you're talking about why you like hunting them what do you describe as an isolated white and like what kind of habitat? Well, down here at the farm, it's, you know, I grew up, it was a cattle farm, my grandparents. And so it was cleared, you know, back in the, in the forties actually. And they left big white oaks, you know, back then they wasn't big. They were just trees. They didn't even know what they were leaving probably. But now, I mean, here there's, isolated white oaks and you know it's mainly pasture but i planted uh, you know loblollies and so those trees become magnets and there are certain trees that i know are favorites of the deer Mm -hmm. over the years here Uh, but i also do it when we had leases you know like i said it's just boots on the ground finding these places in in a pine stand it might be on a on a creek that the you know loggers have left uh you know isolated white oak, and it might ne- not necessarily be a white oak it might be a a water oak or a live oak or a big red oak but any kind of oak you can find that's isolated mm-hmm. and it you know if that tree's dropping you better be there because there, it's going to draw every deer in that area to that spot. Well, I, I want to talk more about this. First off, how did you, who taught you, or how did you learn about like focusing and targeting on, on isolated oak trees, or just, or in this case, white oaks? You know, was there was there like an aha moment, or did you just like happen to like run across it? I guess is growing up hunting down here. Mm-hmm. You know that we've got several. I mean, I've got my favorite white oaks down here, and uh, they're isolated. There's really nothing else around them, and the deer just are drawn to it. So I guess starting here hunting Mm -hmm. and uh, having success, you know, so when we had other leases over the years, I would just put boots on the ground and, you know, try to find something like that. i got a quick question on that. So are you selecting for those, are you, are you looking specifically for some kind of oak tree all by itself and bypassing maybe like a larger bottom that has a, like, that's just full of oak trees. You're going to go past that one and go find that oak tree out by itself. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, you know, I'm checking them all, but when that isolated one is fall is dropping acorns, you know, you want to be there because it's going to. You know, uh, 
And like I said, I, the oaks down here, I've got some white oaks down here that drop acorns and the deer won't touch them. And it, you know, it may be the pH of the soil around that. It's the same from year to year? Right. Well, most of the time down here, yes, down here. Uh, I know there's, Jacob knows them. I mean, I call one of them the cedar, the cedar stand. The cedar stand is no longer there. Tree But it's a, yeah. (laughs) Talk (laughs) about that for a second. Talk about that for a second. The tree? Yeah, because you like, we're going to have a dead cedar for a little while. Oh, yeah, I still, I mean, (laughs) if I had to cut the half because I couldn't see where the stand is now, I'd still be hunting in that dead cedar. (laughs) But uh, yeah, it died. I, I may have ran a fire through there and accidentally killed my tree. But uh, it's a big cedar tree, like yeah, real big. It's it's uh, so we we called it the cedar tree, but it's set up on an isolated white oak, and that tree right there, when that thing's dropping, you better be there because there's something about those acorns those deer love. And like I said, it's the composition of the soil. The pH of the soil, something about those trees, mm-hmm. and that's that's with every oak. Some some oaks, uh, the acorns are not favorable for the deer. Yeah, uh, but uh, a lot of them, and it, it's just scouting and doing your you know boots on the ground, like I said, and uh, when you're finding the sign, you know I you know I may hunt uh, some some group of oaks if if the sign's there but i'm always checking those isolated white oaks or red oaks whatever it may be Uh, that's something that my mentor ben george he's talked about a lot and he's from around here too he's hunted all these same areas and uh he calls it a sweet tree and year to year you're gonna have that same we had some back in the day where my one of my best friends growing up grant he killed his first buck on one of these where it, it was a water oak and every year that water oak, for some reason, they would, it was a water oak in the middle of like a hundred water oaks in this big flat river bottom. Mm-hmm. And it was like right in the middle of it, huge water oak. And they would just walk over, I mean, walk right past a hundred other oak trees that were dropping yeah. to get to that one. And he's like, that's the sweet tree. There's something about it where it just produces something that they like. Um, that's interesting uh, hearing you talk about that too. So uh, you're talking about sign on the trees. What's that sign got to look like to kind of convince you to hunt that spot? And, you know, I'm looking for droppings, obviously. Uh, just you're looking for caps. You're looking for half-eaten acorns, uh, but main, mainly droppings. You know, I know that the deer are coming in there. And nowadays we're always setting up cameras. So, you know, I'm I'm checking those cameras. But if I see acorns dropping and, you know, droppings on the ground, deer droppings on the ground, I'm I'm going to, I'm going to be on that tree. So, so when you get in a lease, are you running through that lease and locating all of these oaks that look good to you? And then as the season starts coming in, you're running through and seeing which ones are hot yeah, and yes, hunting them. So, so it's all, you know, like real time. Yep. Most recent sign, boots on the ground. I mean, I can tell you a lease we had in, uh, it was in Lowndes County, uh, Wilcox, uh, and I killed two, I actually shot two does uh, first morning, not 15 minutes 
in the stand uh, on two water oaks, isolated in a pine thicket. Just happened to be on a creek. Uh, actually, it was just a wet branch. And they left two good-sized water oaks. And they were, you know, open in, open in the morning. I shot two days within 15 minutes oh, in, wow. in the stand just because of that. Being isolated, and I was just a food source that there was nothing else around. And I feel like that's one thing that's different. It's like we've had guys on talked about feed trees in the past. And it's always like them hunting in areas, it seems like, where there's just a ton of oaks and features you're just trying to find that right tree like so richard if, richard fought yeah, jonathan moreland yeah and it's like or yeah or, um there, there's there's a bunch of them that we've had on the show that are similar like that but it's like this is not so much finding like the huge groups of them but it's like trying to find that one tree that's especially like in that pine thicket or in that area especially i'm sure you've hunted areas where like you find that one tree and it's in like a, a shorter or like younger pines mm-hmm. compared to like maybe older pines and it, it might hunt differently, especially at different times of the year, like how good it stays. Uh, because maybe it's not only that food source, but it's that one little open spot that they pop out in and they want to run that edge right there too. Cause I think that's one thing I learned with, from you early on, which is like you hunting these SMCs, these draws that these loggers leave and it might have, it might be all sweet gums and sycamores. And there's that one Oak tree. And you're going to find that one oak tree, and it seems like something about that spot there, depending on how wide that SMZ is, that might be the one spot they cross at, too. Like, they cross at that feed tree. Yeah. And it's oh, like, yeah. and it's like that's like your pitch point. Instead of, like, trying to hunt, like, the, the tip of a, a drainage or something like that, it's like, if it's kind of more rolling hills, it's like, find that feed tree, which, you know, could be the isolated oak. And then there's a good chance, like, they're going to be coming in from all different angles to that one tree versus, you know, you know whether that tree's in the middle of that branch or if it's at the very tip of it. Um, that can be a spot to focus on. Cause I feel like so many guys talk about like, Oh, just hunt the very tip point of it. I'm like, if that's not where the isolated Oak is. Yeah. It might be, they might be 60 yards behind you. Or if yeah. the terrain's not, you know, harsh enough to pinch them at the top of that thing, mm-hmm. you know, you get in that, like you're talking about that more gentle rolling terrain. I, I have a hard time in that kind of terrain. Just rolling hills. Yeah. yeah. Just rolling hills. It's like out here. It's like nothing steep out here. Really? No. Yeah, it's just rolling. It's like you got hills without any of the benefits of hills. Yeah. <laughs> like you got the topography, <laughs> yeah. but you don't have harsh enough topography to get the benefit out of it. Well, you like, know? well that's where those outcroppings, those those uh, limestone outcroppings play. Yeah. Back oh, yeah. And that, that's one thing, don't they get too sidetracked on. So we talked about, this is a while ago when we had JT on, we talked about like names of stand locations. And on that episode, that's when I talked about, we had a place down here, the Lindley house had the barn, had the rock garden, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. The cedar tree. What's another one down here? Uh, The barn. The barn. uh, Longfield. Yeah. Topfield. Not not super creative on those two. No, well, yeah. It's like, what's the the story? By the way, because I had someone ask me, why was that one spot? Why was that one spot called the Lindley house? That was a, a, a homestead out there. Right there. Yeah. All these, this house I'm in right now, was built in 1893 the framing is you chris oak true two by fours and four by fours you don't see that Mm. you know so this framing of this house is 1893 that's crazy i didn't know that that's cool so the limla house was a when i was growing up down here that house was still it was it was still standing so that became the Limley House, mm-hmm. you know. When we're hunting that, and there, there again, it's the same. There's a there's a big uh, scarlet oak and a monster scarlet oak. Yeah, the tree's huge. That thing will drop. Yeah, I mean, that, <laughs> I've hunted that tree for a month and a half. 
before. That thing holds so many acorns. And uh, but there's that scarlet oak and two big white oaks out there. So that's why we hunt that area. Well, there was two killed this year out there. Yeah, I hunted. That's where I, one of the first places I hunted. Uh, well, I started like bow hunting down here uh, a while back, probably like right after high school or in high school, maybe. And I remember ha- having some close opportunities. Not nothing, nothing like. Where I was like, oh man, I'm about to, I'm about to shoot a deer, but super close, coming just skirting the edge of just outside of bow range, deer coming off like that other property, um, uh, Miss Paula's property. Um, but back back to the whole isolated oaks though. When I know you, you said you kind of like folks started focusing on those isolated oaks because of like hunting down here, because that's what you're hunting down here, because there's like certain areas there's like two white oaks here, and you go you know, a couple hundred yards and like there's a, there's a single one right there and they're, they're just stuck out in between. It's not like you have any huge clusters of oaks down here yeah. just because of how they were left uh, when it was a cattle farm. Um, but when you start getting to clubs, like was it a pretty quick success when you started like doing that? Of like, hey, this is something I can kind of scout at any time of the year. I mean, is this like right now, I feel like you were joining a club. This would be like the time of the year if you oh, could yeah. run out there and try I'd to- I'd be sp- out there right now. Yeah, spot yeah. check them. Oh yeah. Because you don't have any growth. It's not- greening up so you want to be out there right now and uh finding those locations we went the other day jacob in the club took down a few stands mm-hmm. what did we take the first an isolated white mm-hmm. oak on two draws that was that an awesome spot today. yeah a- awesome spot i mean there was probably seven year old pines around it uh a draw come down a draw came it teed off, teed right there. off right there, yeah. and there was an isolated, huge, isolated white oak. I mean, that was the only <laughs> oak in the air. Yeah. Well, I, I take that back. The tree I had my stand in was a smaller white oak, but they were coming to that big white mm-hmm. oak, that big mature white oak. Jacob so, was all fired up about that spot. That's yeah. the first one he told oh, yeah. me about. Well, what, yeah. su- what sucks is he put in all his work, which we'll talk about because I want to talk about the club too. Because you had some that the one spot we went to that was like real far out there that we talked about earlier, where it's yeah. like you know they had the little lock on there and you had to climb a little bit farther down. That whole area. Did we did we grab that stand that was yeah. in there? Oh yeah, the lock. That was the last one. We, yeah, the we got, Okay, it was in some you know twenty year old pines. But there no, no, again. the one before that, the one before that, we drove way down there that road. That little tur- we hit, you had to like turn around and back out. We had pepper, and we, we were like, "Hey, there's some waters down here, and there's like one lock hunter right there that we were pulling out." Was there another stand in there that we were supposed to get a climber? On? No. Okay. Okay. No. All right. For some reason, I thought there was climber. We got that lock on out, and uh, it was actually three big white oaks right there, but that was the only food source in a big twenty uh, year old pine stand, and I mean they hadn't thinned it. So no sunlight hitting the ground, you know it was a it was a barren land except for those white oaks. Was so, there any cover underneath, or just open no, pines? No cover. That's uh-huh. what I'm saying. So uh, they would, you know, probably 75 yards from there was a a cut, and so that was the bedding, mm-hmm. and they would draw those white oaks right there would draw those deer. Talk about that. That like a lot of times. These isolated oaks that you're finding, you don't really care about them being right next to thick cover. You just need to have bedding within distance that they're going to come from bedding to feed on those right. oaks. Yeah, and I'll set up, you know, if I know deer, through scouting where I know the deer are bedding, you know, in a barren landscape like mm-hmm. that, and mm-hmm. that pine 
stand. Uh, I mean, I know the deer are not bedding there. So obviously I'd, I'd venture out in my scouting and, uh, find where the deer are bedding or I think they're bedding. I'd set up, maybe just, I'd put up an ice, a, uh, observation stand at first. I'd get way off. I just want to see in a stand like that, you could see for seem like a half a mile, uh, cause there's no ground growth. So I would set up an observation stand and, you know, see where I'm, if I'm seeing deer coming from, you know, to those, that food source, if they were dropping and, you know, I knew they were on them. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you'd have to set up in a, in a situation like that, you'd have to set up to catch the deer cause they may come in there late mm-hmm. if they're bedding a hundred yards, 150 yards away you know, you would have to set up closer to the bedding, but you know, they're coming to that food source. So you're just cutting them off. What, I mean, so what's your take on, I think, cause I think a lot of guys are like, Hey, if I found a, a big group of like say 15 or 20 wise, I'm going to focus on that versus that one lone Oak. That's, you know, a hundred yards from there out in the, you know, the pine thicket yeah. or whatever. But do you feel like you just get like a better shot opportunity, like a higher odds of like a shot opportunity on those lone trees Oh, then you yeah. might, if you're just like a, a bigger group of trees in one area. Sure, sure. Because you know they're coming to that that one tree. So you can set up multiple stands depending on the wind mm-hmm. and uh, your access. And then, you know, set up on that one tree. Well, one of the stands we went to when we were at the club pulling some tree stands out, um, that last one that was that observation stand that you had the climber on, you set it because like – Really, at first, I was like, okay, so you're setting up, you're an observation aid, and you were in some big pines. You said, you thought they were 20 year old? Oh, uh, those were probably 25. Yeah. I mean, they were big. I mean, yeah. big, big. I mean, yeah. a pine tree, when you get a climber, you go as high as you, you oh, know, yeah. you're comfortable climbing. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's that kind of stuff like, you know, I don't know if, I guess they, they've been thinned at one point. Uh, so they, they had some like bigger, like sweet gums and stuff underneath it. So it wasn't completely open, but it was one of those spots like you could see probably 30, 40 yards on the ground, yeah. but you couldn't shoot a bow that far because of like all the cover. Um, but you climbed, you had a tree right there that you had a climb around off this one long ridge that was looking way, way, way down into this hardwood drainage that had some oaks in it. And you said, you're like, hey, I got this set up for observation stand, but pretty much from observation stand to like a killing stand because all the deer were like coming over the ridge that you were right. coming down on yep. and then like dropping, were they dropping down to that hardwood bottom? Yeah, they were, they were dropping to the... Actually, what it was was a, a just a wet branch. Uh, to my north, there was fifteen-year-old pines, and it and then uh, to the, I guess east, the same age pines, and it was just a draw through there. And then where I'd set up the stand, like I said, yeah, Jacob said it was just an observation stand at first. But it ended up being the perfect location because I had three draws that dumped off into this this drop this uh, drainage. drainage, and uh, it was really just a doe travel area. And I I always hunted it on a southeast wind, and it uh it blew back away from where the deer were coming. And I saw a, a ton of deer set up right there. And it was just a, 
where different terrains came together and it was just a travel corridor all it was mm-hmm. and it seems like if you're when you're targeting those isolated wyoks one thing i noticed is like there's no other hunting sign around there really i mean there's there's nobody really focusing on that in a lot of these areas I mean, is that something that you kind of, I guess, learned jumping from a lot of different clubs and leases and stuff? Because you've been in both like private leases, or it was like you and Michael and something, or you and a couple of buddies versus like being in a club where there's 15, yeah. 20, 30 other members. Is that something like when you were finding those isolated wikes, like you weren't seeing as many other guys trying to target that stuff? Yeah. I mean, this particular club, there was actually 30, 36 to 39 members. But I got to know through guys that were in the club what, how they hunted. Most of them were greenfield hunters. So I knew I had the 4,000 acres to my, you know, if I put boots on the ground, I could find these places and have them all to myself. Mm -hmm. So that's how it turned out that, uh, you know, these guys really, they went out in the shooting house and sat over a greenfield. So I, you know, I knew I could go out and find these locations and have success, you know. Do you feel like it, have you ever been in a club where you had like excessive like oaks on there where there's like a ton of oaks and, and did you do you feel like that was harder to hunt than the areas where you had just the isolated oaks? Yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely. I mean, if you get an area that's you know it's just full of oaks, you can still. I mean, you really have to do a lot of scouting. You have to be in there a lot, and that's probably bad. Mm-hmm uh just to check what trees are dropping you know but uh yeah I, I don't really i mean i would hunt that area if i knew you know like i said go in there and i knew there was a hot tree or something amongst all the others but you know i i kind of stay out of those type areas just because you have to be in there so much checking it you're really blowing the area out well, one because one thing I noticed is on that club that you were in, um, it had a major creek system ran through there, and it looked like there's oaks everywhere off it, mm-hmm. and you were nowhere within half yeah. a mile of that creek at I, all. I walked those areas, yeah. but yeah, I I I knew that the limited time I had mm-hmm. at that point when I first got in the club, I knew I'd be better off going to these isolated areas. Instead of just sitting on a drain that had a hundred oaks yeah. down it, you know. Because I guess it also comes down to, do you just want to see deer? Because like maybe you'll see a bunch of deer in those areas, but do you want to yeah. kill deer? Right. Because if you want to see deer, have fun. It's yeah. just during bow season. Because yeah. yeah, maybe you see deer at a hundred yards away yeah. from you. I mean, bow season is hard for an area like that that's just loaded with oaks. Mm-hmm. But I like, mean, that's... Because most of them, they're going to be multiple trees dropping. Mm-hmm. So you're just, it just luck that that deer happens to walk by you but with the isolated areas i focused on those because i knew that was the draw and they were coming to there mm-hmm. i knew that and you mentioned that that's something that you'd hunt especially with someone that has limited time because you feel like you have higher odds of success hunting that isolated oak versus hunting a gr- huge stand of oaks right, right. like maybe you'll see a deer but again it's that whole shot opportunity aspect yes so and that, again, that's interesting because I felt like where we were at, all the things that we pulled, that random dude is going to be looking at those huge drainages, those yeah. huge hardwood drainages are going to be down there, probably blowing deer out because it's probably going to be swirling winds too, and the deer coming off the tops anyways. Um, but I felt like probably if we would have walked down there on that main creek that was down below the lake, I bet you there were stands everywhere down there. 
Yeah, I, I was yeah. Getting, there's, oh, yeah. There's probably guys got stands left yeah. and right, lighter stands everywhere, like the areas you're at. And so the funny thing is, like one of them, that first one we pulled, it wasn't far off from the logging roads that you could drive. Like we drove the four wheeler within probably a hundred yards of eighty yards of it, but it was just in a certain spot that was like you had to put a little effort to get in there and actually mm-hmm. scout that. Like the random guy who doesn't have like a ton of experience of like hunting those like edges and those habitat breaks isn't just going to randomly necessarily walk in there. They're going to hunt the fields. They're going to hunt the big hardwood ranges, the big hardwood ridges. They're not going to go down that one little hell hole that had yeah. a little water. That, that was a cool little spot too. I, yeah. I was waiting for oh, us to yeah. see a snake while we were in there too with the dogs. <laughs> yeah. um, but that that's something that I feel like for my guy, my guys listening to the podcast to help put a better, I guess a, a better, you know, more odds in your favor, focusing and trying to find some of those isolated wax right now to focus on for this coming season because again, like you said, you know, it's a very good chance, especially if it's the first, it's just, if it's the closest oak to the bedding, like maybe there's a huge oak stand behind you. Yeah. But you have that one isolated white oak or red oak, whatever, water oak that's right there, you know, within a hundred yards of the bedding versus the big stand that's three hundred yards from the bedding, they're gonna stop there first, even that's, just to check it. They might not even be oaks ever, they're yeah. gonna come to it first and then bounce over to the other oaks. That's a magnet. Yep. That's uh that's what I look for. I mean, I look for those places that, you know, the deer are going to be drawn to that's mm-hmm. out by itself. No, like you said, nobody else. I mean, it's fun. I wish Michael was here, my brother, because he can tell you some stories. I get in those pine tickets. Mm-hmm. I mean, I come out bloody. Mm-hmm. If you and ain't bleeding, I, and it I love runs that. in the family. Oh, <laughs> man. I mean, I, I dive in there. I'll yeah. go through those bedding areas in all season to find these places if you ain't bleeding it ain't thick enough <laughs> that's right yeah that's my, yeah. That's my saying so you yes. talk about uh doing some observation sets and kind of watching the deer and how they come how they approach these isolated oaks are you always setting up on that oak or or do some sometimes do you try to back up and get a little bit closer to the bedding yeah i will depending on like I said earlier, where I, you know, if I think they're bedding in this certain area and it, and they're not going to get to there, you know, like I said, that observation stand shows me they're not going to get to that oak before uh, shooting light. Mm. So yeah, I'm going to set closer to the, to the bedding area just to get that shot off. How do you, how do you decide on uh how close to that bedding you like to get? I mean, are you setting up on the edge? Like, let's just say, for example, you got, like you were talking about, you have that isolated oak that's maybe kind of far out in those pines by some standards, 100 mm-hmm. yards. Are you getting right up on that edge of the bedding, or how, how are you making your determination of how far you should push in? Through that observation stand. Yeah, yeah just what sightings I see. Mm-hmm. You know, I may have scouted the area and find some trails, you know, some really major trails. Then I'm going to set up on those or, you know, I see two or three trails coming together, coming out of the bedding area, you know, I'm going to set up close to that and I'm going to just observe. Mm-hmm. That's what an observation stand is, you know, so yeah. through, through my sightings of deer, uh, you know, I may move, you know, I'm going to move that stand if they're, you know, out of shooting uh, distance. You know, obviously, I'm going to move the stand a little closer. How much does buck uh, buck sign play a factor? I mean, are you looking for one with fresh rubs around it? Sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's what I'm after. Mm -hmm. I'm not, you know, I'm not 
in there to shoot does, you know. But is that like a make that early season? Mm-hmm. That's your best chance of at, at the good buck that's in that area. Is that a make or break kind of sign for an area? Like if you're finding a tree that that seems pretty hot, but there's no buck sign on it, you're gonna try to find a different one, or no, not necessarily. Because if it's isolated, I know that buck in that area. He's he's probably using it. If there's good sign, I'm I'm looking at the deer droppings. I mean, the deer droppings tell a lot. You know, buck mm-hmm. droppings from doe droppings. Uh, I'm looking for tracks. I'm looking for a creek crossing that might be, you know, in in between those areas. I'm looking at tracks, you know, the size tracks, buck tracks, doe tracks. So, you know, there's a lot involved in it. But, no, I mean, if I'm not seeing rubs or, uh, you know, old scrapes or something like that, that doesn't deter me from uh, hunting that location. Mm-hmm. How much does stand height play a factor for you on some of those locations? I, mean, I, I like to get as high as I can. Listen, uh, let me say this right now. Is it no? Michael's the one. Michael's, that, Michael's the crazy one. That like no, no, no. He's a chicken. Is he, he? He don't get up no tree. <laughs> I thought he not was, anymore. I thought I know, but I thought like this is like ten years ago, fifteen years ago. I remember like hunting down yeah, there. And we y'all, all, ta- y'all were talking about carrying extra straps on Michael stands because he'd like to use a one strap and just yeah, put them up he, there in yeah, weird trees. He wasn't safe at all, man. He, you, <laughs> you die in his thing. <laughs> and he may have did that on purpose so nobody would hunt him. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I secure mine. I. I made my own lifelines, and uh, I hunt. I never hunt a stand without a lifeline. Uh, but uh, no, I get. I try to get as high as I can possibly get. You know, mm-hmm. well, it's like even I just me down here on the farm. There was one like that stand on top of the hill. Uh, we gotta come up with a, a better name for that tree. The one by the cedar tree. Stand. Cedar tree, man. The cedar tree stand. Anyways, those ponds <laughs> up there, which I remember, they were like itty bitty, like little not litty bitty, but they were like small ponds when we were well, started there's a here. there's a telephone pole up there now i said a telephone pole we'll talk about that real quick the, the pine that it was in mm-hmm. after my cedar died and i you know i there was no cover in the dead cedar anymore uh we moved it to a pine and and christopher he can attest to this it it got so big around you couldn't even you know it, it wasn't safe to to uh put a stand in so i i had a when i bought my business uh there was a telephone pole we wasn't using so i i jerked it out of the ground with a bobcat and my me and my two boys came up here and and set it in the ground so i mean you, there's your name you can call it the, the telephone. telephone pole <laughs> the pole but, stand uh, so it's up there but that thing's kind of, it's kind of scary. <laughs> you got, will, you I cables. didn't cable at all. <laughs> and uh, and I'm like... the only one that'll hunt that. And yeah. I killed a buck. We called a, either turkey foot or devil's fork this past year out of it. And I was actually, it's, it's kind of funny because of that. I would not stand up mm-hmm. in that stand because that thing will shake. It will move on you big time. And uh, <laughs> so I was sitting, it was uh Wednesday afternoon. Me and my buddy Brian came down and uh, I had this deer. I knew he was in the area. I got a lot of pictures of him. He was, I had three years of camera pictures of him. And uh, 
the the white oak was the draw. I mean, it was dropping. Had a field, you know, you know the rock garden. There's a field up on top of the hill and the field that we call the rock garden, the sanctuary. We don't go in that area. Uh, if we can shoot into it, that's one well, thing. Yeah. But you can't get yeah, no, no walking we're, in it. We're up on the ridge <laughs> and we can rifle now. Yeah, we can shoot into they're, it. They're dead because <laughs> you know, we're, we're, we're observing from this other ridge, you know, yeah. the sanctuary, big bedding area. We call the rock so guard. They, they, they're safer in post. Yeah, postseason they're <laughs> they're 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 safe over on that side. But anyway, so I it was a Wednesday afternoon. The deer come up, and I had several does, and this buck come up, and uh, I I've never killed a buck with a bow on the farm. So this deer was, I knew it was only four years old by camera history. And uh, so, like I said, I was sitting down. He come in within bow range, the tree, the white oak. I draw back, let the arrow go, limb hits my knee because I'm sitting. Oh. Shoots over his back. The deer has no clue that I'm, you know, so I, I'm like, okay, I just blew that. And, uh, so he just eased off, never knew I was, you know, what happened or anything. So came back two days later and here he comes again. So I, I got skinny, let's just say still sitting down, come within five feet of where he stood the two days before and uh ended up making a good shot because i got my knee out of the way my <laughs> leg out of the way and uh ended up shooting that deer that was my first 51 years old my first bow kill on the farm actually on the property oh wow which yeah. i'll say this the this real quick the farm does not set up great for bow hunting. No, no, no. It's not a bow It's hunt. not like... Except it, it, for those isolated yeah, wild Except for those know. isolated wild but it's like a lot of people, they're like, well, he took that long. Like, even like back when there was a lot of pines, it never set up great for bow hunting. Yeah. It was like, I, mean, I, I missed the doe out there on like, I was sitting, I think it was in, when we were in that pine tree. I was in like lock-on up in that pine tree, not same spot and missed the doe in the green field and I think that's the only deer I've ever shot down here. Shot at down here with my bow before. Um, but the whole place, like it's and now because you got a lot of it cut, which is awesome. It's like we just get down to bird hunting, it was freaking killer. It's great bedding thickets and, and like for travel corridors for the Found some big beds in there. Oh, yeah. And it's oh, like, yeah. uh, but it just again, you like when you bow hunt, it's very, very strategic. But again, we're in an area, it's like very slight rolling hills. There's no huge elevation change. Like the barn's the highest spot around here, and it's still not that high really at all. Yeah. And it's like there's no like hard pitch points anywhere. So like it makes it extremely tough to hunt out here uh, yeah. with a bow, but that was awesome. By the way, was he feeding on oaks or was he in the yeah, green he field? He was on the wide oak. So he's back yeah. in there two days later after being shot at. Didn't really know what happened. Yeah, he didn't know what was. Two I, days later, I was in there. Yeah, yeah. Good wind, everything. So he he didn't know what was going on. So yeah. Well, do you? Um, I'm trying to think. Do you remember? I'm, again, if you don't remember, it's fine. Uh, there was a time when 
you were, I think you were in Green, you, y'all, you and Anthony, or I'm sorry, you and Michael were at a club down in Green County. I think it was Green County. And my dad brought me down there. This is like first, second year of deer hunting. And he drove me down there. And y'all, it was a place that had a bunch of like single wide trailers. And y'all had their yeah, own trailer. That was Sumter County. Sumter County, yeah. okay. And I think you flat should. Flat is a. Yeah, yeah. I mean, flat is out west. And I, I don't think we actually, I can't remember actually hunting. I just remember going to the cabin or going to like the trailer. I feel like I slept. I don't remember ever going hunting, but I remember you killing like two does or something early in bow season when we came down there and you brought them back on trailers and everything. And I just remember Buzzard got one's eye or something like that. Yeah. Uh, but like those areas around there, like no matter where you're at, it's like those oscillated oaks always played a factor. Yeah. For like stuff that you were targeting. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Cause, you know, down here in the south, I mean, they're, timbers king so they're always cutting but they're leaving those on the on the creeks and you know the wet branches by law mm-hmm. and uh so you know that's i mean that's just a draw i mm-hmm. mean you got whatever it may be you know from early planting to 12 year old 15 year old pines you know those isolated areas and like I said, I go through those pines to find those wet branch creeks that, you know, there might be an isolated oak or, you know, whatever persimmon tree. I mean, if you can find a mm-hmm. persimmon or something, anything, that's going to be a draw. And it's like this. It almost seems like the smaller, like that little drainage or that branch or that little draw, the better. Oh, yeah. For finding that isolated oak. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Andrew, you got any isolated oaks that come to mind? I'm, I'm trying to think where we find. I know I have to think. Uh, I I get around too many uh, big SMZs. I get drawn to them. I mean, for real, but that's a problem. Like we get these big SMZs, and there's like, th- like what makes this one spot more special than the spot 80 yards from me? Like well, that makes me want like, it. Nowadays, you can look at all the good mapping that they have now. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can zoom in on an area and, and tell an oak in that pine stand. I mean, oh yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, uh, and that's something that this year I, I kind of like to find one of those and just stick a camera on it because I think one of my problems is I'll find an oak like that and I'm like, oh, wow, look at this oak tree. And it, it's it got the potential to be good, but I never follow up on it. Yeah. You know, maybe sticking a camera on it and like kind of proving it to myself like, oh, wow, look, look at all these deer here in daylight and I'm not hunting it. <laughs> how much how much does tree size play a factor for you for those isolated white oaks or those isolated oaks in general? I mean, if it's, uh, you know, I mean, obviously it's got to be – I don't know. Basketball that, size? Basketball, you said? Yeah, basketball yeah. size are bigger. At least, you know, for it to be producing acorns. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, uh, but there again, it's just either set up a camera like Andrew said or get out there and do your scouting. You know, you just got to visit that location. Hey, I'll uh, tell you what. that You just reminded me that SMZ right next to the highway that – I hunted these last two seasons. There's a, it's a, it's a little, little bitty SMZ. Hot. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, yeah I can't yeah. say what it's next yeah, to because yeah, yeah. it'll give it away. Yeah, it's, it's next to a highway. But, but it, yeah. So you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, there's a, a big one, big, there's some white oaks in there. A lot of smaller white oaks, uh, but I haven't seen them really produce yet. Um, actually there's some li- really little white oaks. They're barely bigger than a baseball bat. And they had a bunch of acorns on them this year. And I don't know if they, if the deer like really hammered them, I only hunted it once. But last year, there's this one big red oak right on the edge of the thicket in there. 
and it dropped, and I had a camera on it last year, and uh, deer after deer. That was after the one that deer. had all the bucks on it, right? Oh yeah, had a bunch of bucks on it. Had one just freak nasty big giant buck on they, it. They got killed. They got killed immediately this big season. <laughs> big deer. We were so excited about hunting that deer, and he got killed like we, the we second day. Him, of we called season. him Caribou Lou because he looked like a woodland caribou. Caribou big, Lou, big huh. fronts on him, just cr- oh, just gnarly. crazy looking deer. Gnarly. Big big framey and, and, eight point and, last year. And a listener, all over it. A listener of the podcast is the one that shot that deer. Yeah, he is. <laughs> uh, that big. Big eight point last yeah. year. He uh he was on that red oak, mm-hmm. and it started dropping like mid to late October, probably late October, and from late October to like November fourteenth, he was there almost every day in daylight, just day yeah. after day eating there. See, there you go. Mm-hmm. And, and that <laughs> even just... bears out in some of the GPS mm-hmm. uh, data that we got, where we're looking at collared bucks, uh, where it's taking their location every hour. And one thing that we found across several of the properties that we looked at is this deer would he had bed in different spots but he would go back to that same smz that same group of oaks every single night and there was one buck in particular he went to the same general area of oak trees what was it 28 nights in a row i think every single night he went to the same spot no matter where he bedded you know he would he'd go right back to that same area i need to show you some of that data anthony because some of it will like It'll confirm some of the things you're talking about, like finding these isolated white oaks mm-hmm. or like oaks, because that's like what, especially one in specific buck, that's what he was doing. Yeah. Like I mean, going back to these like night little clusters. After night after night. Yeah. I mean, like clockwork. Or, or he'd bed in a spot where it looked like it was some kind of like primate thicket, like underneath some oaks, and he would not leave probably an area the size of this house all day. And he'd just like bing, 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 bing. Like just, you can tell he's feeding underneath these oak trees and yep. he's bedded there like all day. He's just hanging out. And it's like he didn't have no reason to move. And, and in the also evening, next- he would drop down and he would swing through a thermal hub, like right there yep. at dark. Right where you right had all the drainage just coming through. Yep. But again, the whole isolated white oaks, that's on, or the isolated oaks, it makes me think like, because that's been our issue in the past is like, we have other guys on like Richard Fott who comes from like Eastern Arkansas and he's like hunting huge stands of trees, of hardwoods, and he's just trying to find that that, that sweet oak out there that they're just hammering. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a numbers game. It's like the more, more trees you can see, the more likelihood you're going to find that one tree. Uh, where like this isn't necessarily the case. It's more like finding that one tree that's in the the island of say pines or it could be sweet gums too. You know, big sweet gum thing. And there's just one oak tree out in there. Well, yeah. That could be that could be the I hot mean, spot it, too. It could be in a stand of uh, not hardwoods or softwoods. Your sweet gums and your uh, aspen tree and you know different kinds of trees, maples, and, all that. And then yeah, it looks like a bunch of hardwoods, mm-hmm. but there's and a white oak amongst all of them, mm-hmm. you know. So you just, that's just scouting. I mean, you just got to get out there. You got to know your trees. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can, I can tell you all kinds of trees by the bark, leaves, or. It's either, it's a pine tree for me, a sweet gum, a sycamore, nah. or an oak. So <laughs> you you got to know. You gotta he know. See, he didn't know sycamore, and we went to Tennessee. He's like, man, there's, there's all these sweet gums. There's all these sweet gums everywhere. <laughs> he was like, man, I was up against the sweet gums. They were gum. little, dude. They're and like I, this big around. They're like that big around. I get up there to hunt, and I'm up there, and it's like, I don't know, the 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 middle of the second day I'm up there, I'm like, I ain't seen a sweet gum yet. Like, there's no sweet gums here. And, it, you know, the sycamore's got the big, fat, giant yeah. leaf. And I was like, is this what you're calling a sweet gum? He's like, yeah, it's a sweet gum. I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> hey, I can thank my grandparents in this house growing up. My grandmother was, she loved being out in the in the yard, doing all the, she'd 
I can remember in all these windowsills, little jars with cuttings in them of she would plant and replant and she would actually graft way back oh wow when i was seven eight years old and uh do all her planting but she had these audubon books that had she'd have trees she'd have flowering plants shrubs and i still have those books back there today and it shows you the bark of the tree the leaf of the tree and the acorns so i studied those books of those trees Mm -hmm. so i can walk out there and show you a black jack oak scarlet oak you Mm -hmm. know live oak water oak yeah white red you know do you name it i can i can show you and it goes to show we talk about it all the time you know it's that's why it's important to know your trees and i can see how that can be really efficient as opposed to somebody like like richard fought who's ridiculously effective at what he does. I mean, he kills a lot of big deer, mm-hmm. but he, he's also, he gets to hunt a lot, first of all. And second of all, he's covering tons of ground. Uh, and he's walking like very, very long distances and he's not hunting until he finds that, that right. tree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so he, he might go out, he might say, okay, I got all day tomorrow to hunt. And he walks all day and doesn't find that tree. And he's like, all right, mark all that off and goes to the next spot the next yeah, day. Yeah. And That's what whereas, you, you know, if you, if you have a lease or a club, or even if you just kind of pick out a, a public parcel that you're, that you're going to learn and make it your own, uh, going and finding all those isolated oaks here in the off season. Uh, and then, you know, when fall comes, you can kind of make your rounds and run through there. I mean, is that kind of what you do? Like very efficient. Yeah. So you can kind of stay on top of it. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'll go to the extent of actually putting a stand up right now. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I'll just... Uh, I can attest to that. Yeah. I won't, you know, obviously I won't tighten it up. I might put one strap on a 20-foot stick and uh, go ahead and get it out there. And then August or, you know, go ahead and get my setup. But I'm out there right now finding those places. When I got in this club, you know, it's 4,000 acres. So... And like I said, I knew from some of the guys that were in it, most of them were greenfield hunters. So I had the 4,000 acres to myself of going out there and, and scouting and finding these locations. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you want to you want to be out there, you know, the, the day after season ends. Yeah. So – well, boys, we're about we're about at quitting time here. Uh, over an well over an hour now. So, oh, are we? what time is it? Yeah, it's uh we're at one thirteen. Mm. So, uh, I, I quick story. Yeah, I, I was about to say I, let's I, let's end it with another uh, family uh, story because those are golden. All right, listen. All right, listen. You got to tell the story about Angie killing some some birds she wasn't supposed to be killing that she yeah. had to eat, or you got to tell about the one shooting the tractor. <laughs> shit in the track was it pop shit in the tractor whoever shot the tractor shot the tractor well he you sh- tell both stories shot then. Shot so my two, grandfather two tractors <laughs> he shot two the, the one yeah. the non-hunter who yeah. like now like every, listen my brother went out hunting with him he he's a liability with a firearm come to find out don't give him <laughs> oh yeah dude, he, he discharged <laughs> well, tell us again there's three stories you can tell you can tell when Thomas was well, walking I mean, out I mean Angie and the and the pigeons okay we were, we were growing up and my brother and I I mean that's what we did every day. We we woke up, and if we wasn't riding, we had three wheelers back in the day. Back then, wasn't no such thing as a four wheeler. And uh, if we wasn't riding, we was out shooting birds. 
with our baby guns, you know, and we could shoot any bird except for a cardinal. Oh, no. So, you know, we'd go out. So, you know, we'd go do our hunting and everything. But Angie came down, my, my sister, older sister, and uh, we were actually the neighbor above us had pigeons and they would fly y'all know i mean mm-hmm. they'd go back andrew's gonna to eat some house. pigeons and, and, and oh, uh, sometime soon well we was out dove hunting and you know pigeons fly by boom 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 angie's wearing them out you know <laughs> and uh so my grandmother said well you kill it you gotta eat it and she cooked that thing up <laughs> for my sister to eat the pigeon <laughs> and then, so that's, that's the story there. And then, so my dad, which is the non-hunter, but loving that he got us out there, you know, shooting and, and, and in the outdoors. But, uh, he, he had a way of checking safeties <laughs> and it would be <laughs> on your shoulder next to your ear. Let's check that safety. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, nope, not on. So, <laughs> It's one time we're going out, my brother's got a shotgun. This was when my granddad was down here on the farm. You know, this used to be Black Angus cattle farm. And, uh, you know, his tractor was his everyday, you know, tool. So we're walking out and my dad, you know, gun on Michael's shoulder. Let's check that safety. Tractors behind him maybe 20 yards boom shoots you know checking the safety shoots the radiator in my granddad's brand new tractor seat so there's shot all in that thing you know had to buy a new radiator and uh buy a new tractor seat <laughs> and then i don't know if it was thomas or chris i think it was thomas thomas said yeah but did the same going up same to the top deal. that top yeah. hill the top field let's, let's check the safety why it's on your shoulder it's next dark. To, it's dark to like your, it's, next to your it's, not even, it's not even it's like it's like pre-dawn it's like the sun is not even up he's like, Boom! And, he's like and his version of checking the safety is not like let's look at the safety let's just pull the trigger yeah, and see what happens Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, like, when, yeah, Anthony's over here, he's checking to say, he's literally pulling the truck, dude. Like, and boom. <laughs> and weren't you at the shooting house and the other shooting house and one of y'all hollered, like, you good or whatever? I, um, I don't remember. He, he told us. We need to have Pop on the podcast. Yeah, you need Pop here. Uh, definitely. That'd be, that'd be wild. Yeah. <laughs> Michael and Pop and all your brothers. Dude, I think I'm just going to bring this this whole thing with all six mics over here and just let y'all have a little family reunion. <laughs> we should we should get Michael and Pop on. That yeah. would be hilarious. Oh, say, and then you all say that would be yeah. hilarious. Let's, let's talk about him <laughs> when he was 16. <laughs> Oh, that'd be awesome. That's hilarious. I can't get enough of this family story. It wasn't a hunting story, but it's a good story. What, the piercing? Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. When he comes home. Hey, get the police police called. In the paper bag. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, you got to talk about that. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, Wasn't, who got in trouble shooting their own, their tennis shoes? Like throwing their tennis shoes up and shooting them. I have no idea. I think that's Angie. Why don't you? I mean, we've we've shot. uh, My my granddad had guineas. Michael shot one of those one time. (laughs) He shot a guinea. Yeah. So yeah, we. It's a South American turkey. Oh yeah, yeah, I've seen them. 
Yeah. My grandfather hated guineas. He said they were mean. <laughs> That's hilarious. Now, um, I'm trying. One, one last thing. Did y'all have rabbit dogs growing up? Oh, yeah. Like beagles yep. and everything? Because mm-hmm. I remember, I think it was like the last beagle that y'all had, Nani had. And I remember going over there to my grandmother. And uh, I forgot the dog's name. The old dog. Like, Lady, probably. I don't know. It is, I just remember it, it died when I was probably it's like 14, 15, 16 years old. I was six, seven. Yeah, we, but, we had beagles growing up. And we really didn't. Lady was the only when I was growing up. So that wasn't Lady when no. when it passed away when you were little. Mm-mm. But she was, I mean, self-taught rabbit hunter but she would run a deer i mean uh so we i actually trained our beagles with her to run deer so all of our beagles ran we we ran dogs growing up Mm -hmm. down here we had you know a few neighbors property owners around here and uh yeah that's i grew up dog hunting Mm -hmm. yep kim of the clark had all this land on around here we get permits and we'd hunt this whole area with dogs. Man, we got we got some beagles. We got some uh, rabbit hunts. We'll take you on next year. Oh yeah, we got some guys. If you're, they, these dogs are they're a beagle. I mean, they're a rabbit's worst nightmare. <laughs> these beagles are, especially if you pull an Andrew. Or actually, I'm guilty of it too. But pull an Andrew, you shoot one, you don't get to it soon enough, and the beagles tear it apart before you get there. You got about four seconds from the time Y'all one of them like gets a, their mouth on a it. Pack of. 10, oh, 10 plus. 15 or uh, 11. Well, yeah, usually 11-ish. we hunt with about 10, but we've, we've been known to hunt with about 15 or 16. Yeah, that's that's hard to get a rabbit from <laughs> from all those. Uh, when you shoot that thing, you're plunging into whatever cover it's <laughs> dead in and you're grabbing it. Yeah. I yeah. mean, dude, uh, yeah, yeah Jacob's got the Instagram story. I shot that last one. These, these beagles... These beagles ran this big male swamp rabbit for two hours. Legitimately. Two hours, like no joke, in a hellhole. Like the worst, the worst they could I've ever been in and seen in my entire life. Period. It was and horrible. We were, we were in there with them. And there was, Andrew has briar bibs that cover. You no, know, nothing, nothing can hurt me unless it hits me in the face. And which I, it did. I'm out there. I'm bleeding from every orifice <laughs> of my body. Seriously, bibs. I'm, invi- I'm invincible. <laughs> everything. Okay. There's there's a creek running through the middle uh, of it with like eight foot high banks. Swamper crosses the creek. Those beagles are just bailing off the edge. I mean, just jumping off the cliff, you know, and they're little. I mean, you think about how high that is for a 13 inch beagle. I mean, they're yeah. just jumping off of it. They're, they're being swept down the current and they're still just like paddling oh, and like bar. Oh, oh, oh. Like, <laughs> they're so good, man. They're, but, the dude, I shot that rabbit. And I mean, and he was in a wall of briars and I just like, I swear just about swan dived into it to get that joker i was like y'all aren't getting this rabbit i'm sorry i know you've ran him for two hours but this is my swamp rabbit dadgummit uh, yeah, so anyways good. yeah we'll have to get you on a hunt next year we need more guns we need more people uh willing to dive into the thick get some of these jokers killed yep, absolutely yep. awesome well cool well, it's been a fun episode well yeah we'll have to do it we'll have to do a part two get get, get you back on gotta get michael on here gotta get Really need to get Angie on here and Pop all yeah. at the same time. Y'all need to have Thomas, Christopher. I'm a yeah. family reunion. Come yeah. on. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, over spring break, maybe when he comes home from school, that'd be hilarious. I'll do Actually, it. Actually, no, no, no. Right now, he, no, he's down in Miami partying, I'm sure. So <laughs> that is slow down there. So he's probably in trouble. Yeah. But anyway, but yeah. it's fun. So I enjoyed it. Yeah, I appreciate you letting us come down, do the little dog training and everything. Got to see Pepper do, throw a point up and like the, 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 
Edge of the Darkness with a sun set and so dark. That was awesome. She was like the black shadow after a freaking Quail's worst, worst nightmare. But uh, <laughs> yeah, that was awesome. So, but anyways, other than that, dude, yeah, sweet. Well, hope all the listeners enjoy this. Again, definitely go out there and start targeting and scouting out some of those isolated oaks, especially on your clubs and leases. And it makes me now rethink some of the stuff we're trying to try to find on public land. Get so much out of those big SMZs. Find those real, real, real small SMZs in those pine thickets. And something else to kind of target. But anyways, guys, hope you all enjoyed the podcast. Make sure you like and subscribe. Check us out. And hey, real quick, make sure you go out and check out that Southern Waters Fishing Podcast, too. You can hear a little bit more about the outro this week, guys. Yes, sir. But I appreciate y'all's support. And uh, thanks again. Like as Michael would say every single week, Andrew. Y'all stay Southern. Hey everybody, this is Kyle V, host of the Ozark Podcast, a show where we sit down with outdoorsmen of the Ozark Mountains region to talk all things hunting and fishing. Just like the outdoorsmen who live here, we follow the seasons and interview regional experts on everything from bear hunting, to fishing for smallmouth and trout, and discussing big questions like what happened to all the quail in the southeast. If you're enjoying this show, then I know you'll enjoy the Ozark Podcast. You can listen to the show on all podcasting platforms and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode.